0: Welcome to the See Me Now special edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined today by Colorado Macy University Director of Vocal Ensemble, Adam Kluck. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thanks a bunch for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank
2: you for joining us today.
0: So you've been here on campus for a few years now. How many to be exact?
1: This, uh, uh starting my fourth year, but it feels really weird with the way last year was, obviously.
0: Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do here and how uh, what it looks like in the classroom because I come from zero musical background whatsoever, so i 'm always fascinated by people who have this ability and th- these talents
1: yeah um, so it's we have a we have a really nice um, facility um, for especially for the choirs the we call it the choir room the the music theater department uses it too and, and obviously the, we use it for a lot of different music classes, but it 's kind of set up for choir rehearsal. Um, but, uh, you know, last year we didn't use it at all. Um, because we were outside all last fall, uh, spread out with masks and it was, we had that really bad fire. You remember that was just, it was just ash raining down on us the first couple of weeks of class. So things improved in the, in spring semester last year, we were able to be in our recital hall. It's a nice big space in the music building as well. Um, but we, again, we were spread out with masks on and it was i would have ca- i called it a, a successful semester um but the i think the students didn't feel super successful um cuz they couldn't really hear each other very well and uh but it was really cool to go do a con- our, we did our concerts outdoors but we took our masks off for the spring one and that was you could just see on their faces it was really that was really re- rewarding, um, but other than, uh, so I direct four choirs here, plus uh, every semester I teach one or two classroom classes that that have to do with music education, so this semester I have advanced conducting for some choral students, uh, next semester I'll do a choral literature class, and um, then on the off years I do a, a choral methods class. Um, so it, uh, that's that's one of the, my favorite parts of, of my position here, is I get to... I get to regularly encounter all of our music students, especially music ed, instrumental and vocal. Um, uh, so, uh, and then I do, I you know, I advise some, I advise a, a vocal music ed organization, our student chapter of the American Choral Directors Association, and um, play some recitals with faculty, my faculty friends, when when I can find the time.
2: Great. And so you've been here, like we mentioned, four years now, but mm-hmm. could you take us back even a little bit farther and give us more background on, you know, where, where you went to school? What brought you to CMU? What made you choose to want to be a faculty member here at Colorado Mesa University? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, um, so I did my undergraduate and master's degrees. My undergraduate degree is in instrumental music education uh, and my master's degree in choral conducting, both uh, from the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. Um, and had a wonderful mentor there, Dr. Darrow, who who retired uh, last year, Dr. Galen Darrow, and uh, he's still just a legend uh, throughout the state. And so during my time, and then after my master's, I got married uh, to my wife. We got married in Loveland. Uh, that's where she lives. And we both taught for a year. I taught at Greeley Central High School choir, and uh, she taught at uh, a charter, charter school in Firestone. And then you know, she said, I know you want to get your your DMA someday. Let's do it now. We don't have kids. I'm up for an adventure. And we said, okay. I applied to some programs and got, got uh, an assistantship and a fellowship at the University of Wisconsin. And... Um, did that, uh, finished finished my dissertation and defended in 2015 and then taught in Wyoming for two years, taught in Iowa for two years. And then uh, while I was in Iowa, I saw this job came available back home in Colorado. Colorado's always felt like home. And, and so we came here and glad we did. Good.
2: And then maybe what was it about music and maybe more specifically choir and the vocal instrument that really drew you into this profession? Because I know for me growing up, I was a part of different choirs, you know, throughout middle school and cool. high school. I love to sing. I like to sing at home in my shower now. I've not carried it on, you know, professionally or into my adulthood. Um, but, you know, I feel like there's something about people when they like to perform and like, you know, like to be able to use their vocal instrument. And so what was it about all of that that really drew you into this profession?
1: That's a really good, first of all, you shouldn't have told me that you're able to sing because now I'm coming after you to well, sing in the chorale. I don't know
2: if I'm a good singer. I like to sing, but I don't, I don't know if I'm that great.
1: I'm sure you are. I'm sure you're fantastic. Um, Yeah. It's a good question. I, uh, you know, it feels it feels cliche to say, but maybe it's not. I I did all state choir. I had an extra class. I was always a band kid in high school. I had an extra class my senior year. A bunch of band friends were in choir, so they had me come join choir, and I made it into all state choir. And, and I was in the men's choir that year, at Colorado All State Choir in two thousand three. And our clinician was he just retired too, actually from the University of Michigan, Dr. Jerry Blackstone. And that experience, I did not know what choir could be. I did not know that was. I, that was not the first fulfilling musical experience I had had up to that point, but that was like just, it was jaw-dropping the whole time. Kind of that aha
2: yeah, moment of...
1: Yeah, it, it was really, really something. And so I went on and did, you know, I graduated, I knew I wanted to get a degree in, in band, and and I loved my student teaching in band. I had a great partner teacher, but I did choir all through that, my my years of undergrad there, and just something kept eating at me. Like it just was something I had to do more of. And so I decided to go get a master's in it and, and I'm glad I did. And then, then ever since then, it's just been, um, music is a, is a profession in which you can, it really truly is, there's never something not to improve on or not to learn. It's, it's something that music is this like visceral driving force for a lot of the people that you describe that really love to do it. Um, and turning it into a profession is different for sure, um, but it's it's never not been rewarding or fulfilling.
0: What is it about music? Let's get a little deep here. I mean, whether you can sing um, or not, I think everybody appreciates the arts, right? Like that music. Whether I mean, there's thousands of different genres, and we're all we're all curious about it. We all want, we all find enjoyment there. What is it about
1: music? Man. That's a great question. I, for, and a lot of people have written a lot more intelligent things than what I'm about to say, (laughs) but it is, it's something that cuts through whatever personality we feel like we need to wear sometimes. It, it becomes part of our identity, like an identity, part, a piece of our identity that we don't feel. Like we need to hide, or something that gives us comfort, something we can relate to, that is on a spiritual level or on a on a deeper level than just our human existence or what we what we show people day to day. It can, if we find music that that speaks to us or speaks to who we are or helps us become who we are, like it has that power. Um, and I think very few. Thing, the other, I think, the special thing about it is, it's an art form that exists in time, and orally, and and goes into our deeper self, rather more than just words on the page, or even just notes on the page. If you can read music, that's still not music. That's the roadmap. But but when it comes into our ears and makes us feel, makes us feel certain ways, um, it just uh, other. Other things, other even other art forms just can't do that. And I I don't know why. I, I really don't. I don't know if we ever will for sure.
0: I think it's interesting. I know for myself, you know you know those nineties montage movies, you know, where it's like music, one one song after one song. It's like I I remember living my life that way. Like, oh, why can't I just have like this music montage going on. It like plays in your head
1: while you're doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 totally. And gets you going. Yeah, yeah. Or absolutely. Or even, you
2: know, for me, I've got a little one-year-old at home. And even from that young of an age, when there's like certain ones of her, you know, toys and things at home that will play music, she'll stand up and she just starts kind of like bopping into it and looks at me like, yeah, yeah. this is what we're supposed to <laughs> do. do. You we, and, you know, we have Sunday morning dance parties where we put on usually some 70s rock and, you know, dance around the kitchen. And it starts even just from that young age where yeah. I feel like it's just ingrained in who we are as humans. Humans.
1: It really is. You're absolutely right. And there's a bunch of research about how, and it's funny, you know, when you, um, um, when Kelsey talked about, t- you know, being talented or whatever, or having that talent, um, I, we are, you know, we are, I think we are born innately with a musical ability or a drive to music. There's music in every, in our speech, right? In our inflection and things like that. Um, And everybody has, has that, you know, there's a lot of research that's done that everybody has this innate ability to kind of reproduce the pentatonic scale, for example, like that. Like we can all, we can all kind Mm -hmm. of do it. Um, And then part of actually part of what I've kind of been looking at and wondering about the last year is why, for some reason, we have this Western classical music tradition that has become the standard in academia or in our education. We train singers. We've been training singers in opera, and we've been training choral conductors in the classical music when there is so much more out there that people are interested in, and we've kind of fallen behind, I think, and, and it's become more exclusive than it's meant to be.
2: Yeah, so let's dig into that a little bit more. So I know um, when we've had previous conversations, we talked more about your research and a couple of the different organizations that you're serving on, and all of the work that you're starting to do and continuing to contribute to. So can you talk to us a little bit about maybe your research and some of those organizations you're serving on?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I uh, so I did. I I wrote an article last year that I never thought I would write because I never felt qualified to, but I. It was It was a subject that interested me as I have held a few different positions with similar duties, right Having singing seeing new students come into college and seeing what their musical aptitude is um, and wondering why it is the way it is. So this this it was on the subject of music literacy. And then this last year, um, ever since ever since George Floyd died, really, um, I, I and our profession have been looking at okay, what's what's wrong with what we're doing? Like, where where in what we're doing can we make improvements? Like, there there are we're singing we're singing a lot of music by the same composers over and over again, and most of those composers are white males. Not inherently bad, but certainly not as inclusive as it should be, and uh, especially when we have and and then you know I so. I've, as I and most of my colleagues have dug deeper, we've found all of this wonderful music that is just beneath the surface, but has really, it has been suppressed because people aren't programming it, um, it's, it has not entered the canon, right? The, 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 the large canon of choral music that we all study and know and can spend a lifetime getting to know has excluded a lot of composers for no good reason other than, you know, race or gender. And, um, so I don't, um, so I don't know if I've contributed much to that discussion yet. I'm still just in the learning and absorbing phase. Um, and, uh, but with, with, with a sense of urgency, I think, because we are, as you start thinking more about it, okay, how many students have we left behind? How many students have been unable or unwilling to participate in this art form that we've all seen as inclusive, but really isn't? as inclusive as we thought. Um, and what can we do to change that? Um, what do we need to do at the collegiate level as we're training teachers to go out? Where are the gaps um, that we had that that we can fill in for our, the students that we we have coming up? Um, and I, uh, so I, I requested, I offered my help. They were looking for people to serve on uh, a statewide anti-racism task force um, last fall. It's been a year now actually, the late last summer. And they asked me to serve. Um, I think partly because I have whatever whatever influence in a a, um, choral, a person at a choral position at a university has in the state. Um, hopefully, I can exercise for good down the road. And as I said, on this task force, I am I'm a white male. I don't feel I didn't feel like I could bring anything except a willingness to change and, and listen. Um, and it's been wonderful to, to do just that, to listen to my colleagues, um, across the state from different backgrounds and different, um, you know, we, I've made some really good friends on this task force and we all, um, kind of are, are figuring things out and getting uncomfortable together. Um, and, and realizing most of it honestly has been realizing we need to listen. We weren't in graduate school, especially for me, it wasn't it's not the way it should be in a lot of ways um you know well, i think i think yeah. too i don't
0: want to cut you off no, but I, I think it's really important to note that you know yeah you are this white male and you know you are in this position where you can create change but it's being at the table and coming from a place of okay i you know i don't know i don't know at this point but i need to i need to figure it out so we can we can make a difference
1: yeah it's and i'm it's great that you said that because i think that's the big that's the big thing that's been missing in a lot of our mentors. And I say our, you know, the couple of collegiate colleagues that I have and, and others I went to grad school with, it, it often feels like saying, I don't know, was not okay. Or like once you get to a professor position, that's not an okay thing to say. or because you are the teacher. So you're
2: supposed to be the one teaching and have all that knowledge. But like you said, I think it's a continual learning process. And so it's great to hear that we have faculty members here, especially at CMU, that are open to that and know that there's always room for improvement and for learning and for changing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Going off of that, um,
0: you have an interesting philosophy, I think, when it comes to to teaching our 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 musicians and our our leaders in in uh choir and that's creating independent musicians um and not really telling them or not teaching them how to necessarily follow right, but how to how to take it on their own and how to how to think on their own how to create on their own
1: yeah, I hope and i again, this is an area where I feel like i'm it'll probably feel like I'm struggling for a while or for the rest of my life perhaps I don't know but um the this idea of creating independent musicians is another thing that I think has been and I'm not blaming my education I had a great education but it doesn't focus quite enough on how do we things that we can do as directors to encourage our students to be independent critical thinkers I think that's done in other fields very well fields like science lend themselves to needing to do that in music it's been, a lot of it, it, one of the problems is the whole culture of the director tells you what to do when you do it. The director is the conduit through which the music can be realized. You, as the ensemble, are just there to do the director's bidding. And I'm being, that's kind of an extreme take, but really that's that's pretty implicit in, in the art form as you look around. Um, and for our student, you know, even when you're a high school teacher, to give... Students the experience in choir, even if none of them are ever going to major in music, they should leave your classroom every day feeling like they accomplished something with the tools you gave them, right? That we need to, so I'm trying to figure out um, how to, and, and people have done this before, like I'm not the only one trying to do this. We're bringing in a wonderful guest artist who has spent her life doing this. Um, uh on September 18th, Dr. Carol Kruger is coming to talk to our music education students about this exact thing. And um, how do we give students the tools to go solve problems they don't encounter with us? How can they each have a voice of how how this music is to sound right now, my job, the choral art is ever evolving, you know, so there's this sound aesthetic that usually dictates, yeah, you shouldn't hear individual voices all the time, but, but your, you know, how can, how can students feel accomplished in, they see the music on the page and they're able to decipher it and then turn it into their own emotions and thoughts and feelings and, 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 um, in, put their intent behind it rather than just doing what someone else tells them to do. It's much more fulfilling for the students and for the director.
2: Yeah. And speaking of that, so you are talking about, you know, as a student, you're reading the notes on the page. So, you know, Kelsey and I have talked about that I was involved in choir when I was in middle school and high school, and maybe she was not <laughs> as musically inclined naturally. But so, you know, when I see notes, I can tell you, I'm like, oh, that's face or that's every good boy does. Fine. Right. Like that still right. is ingrained in my brain. But somebody who hasn't been a part of choir, who hasn't played maybe an instrument, when you look at notes on a page, you're like, what is this? And so we've talked about how it's almost like learning a new language. So maybe we could just explore that idea a little bit more of how, you know, reading music and seeing notes on a page is almost like learning a new language. And you've got all the intricacies that you have to learn and the different ways that you can interpret it. And then, you know, express that to other humans.
1: Yeah, it's so that's a whole. So this idea of being literate in music is so that that's the primary way that Western classical music is preserved is on the page. There's this, we have a system of notation that tells us when the music, who's, who does what, um, what notes occurring at what, at what rate through time, right? The it's, it's, a uh, it's really just the instructions. The music itself is the thing you hear and feel obviously. Right. So, um, I've been talking about music literacy and all this and, and Dr. Kruger, who's coming actually the, the whole, the main thing is to get people before you, before they know how to read and write music, there's this aural component through our ears that we can all we're all born, I believe, with the ability to reproduce sound as we hear it. Our, we can train our ears to get better at doing that more accurately. But that's a huge component that I think is sometimes is missing or is not cultivated enough before we throw music in front of people. And then once you get music in front of people, like you said, it kind of becomes, that's that kind of becomes a tool of exclusion. Um, and I' I'm, uh, I'm not saying written music is inherently bad. I mean, I can't do anything without seeing music. and like I've considered myself a good piano player, but if you ask me to play something from memory or by ear, it's hard for me. I need the instructions there where other people, are really good at playing by ear, but have never felt encouraged to pursue music because the written component just isn't there for them. So navigating those two things is really difficult, um, but you're absolutely right. As The way we acquire our spoken language is exactly the same. I, Your one-year-old, my two-year-old learn words through us talking to them. And the first step is repeating, right? Um, and then you start understanding. Then you start learning. Okay, what does that look like? So you can you have these different tools to communicate your ideas. Um, but the base and most visceral, most important component is that aural spoken component that I think everybody has, and that I think we should do a better job of um, using to our advantage in the in the in the field of music in general, right? We. Everything is based around written music, which is fine. But in, especially if we're a choir, there is rote. There's this component of you know R O T E, the idea of rote learning, that shouldn't be dismissed and is actually the way. If you go outside Western classical music, there's a lot of you know it's passed on orally. The 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 music of a lot of other cultures, and um, so that uh, that's another that's another potential area for growth and correction in the choral field is is not looking down on rote music.
0: I want to switch gears here just a bit. Uh, I think most people who are listening know that when budget cuts happen, usually it's the arts that struggle uh, in schools. And so what's been really neat about President Marshall's first like 40 days in office is that he actually is standing up for the arts and for musicians in Absolutely. particular with the Robinson theater. Yeah. Can you talk about what's happening there with that? Well, and what our, is going yeah,
1: on? We have a, a Robinson theater is a, it is a hub for arts in our community, in the whole region really. <clears throat> and the theater, I have to say that our theater department and our music theater department have done, they put on and the dance uh, program put on such wonderful productions there. And I think they work with, um, they're working with an old space that's not really conducive to a lot of things that um, that I think they'd like to do in well, music it's as well. Plus but years
0: old, yes, right? yeah, yeah, it's,
1: it's really in it's incredible <laughs> um, what they do with it. And we, for our part, we I we do some choir concerts there, but our needs are just set up the risers, set up the shell. But again, that you know. I, I'm trying to get away from, okay, the music concert is where people get in very stuffy tuxedos and stand there and you watch them sing for an hour. And um, I'm not talking necessarily about choreography, but like I tried, I wanted to do, I wanted to project some images um, that had meaning to some of the pieces that I thought would enhance the audience's experience listening to some of the pieces we sang last year. And, and Mike LeGate over in the theater department helped me realize that. But the space is old enough to where it wasn't really, it could have been a lot more effective and it wasn't anyone's fault. So it's really great to hear that that, that will attract more. um, If we have an updated space there, we can attract more guest artists or people that will come Perform music that we don't necessarily have the ability to put on as university de- university departments, but it'll attract people who maybe have never come to that theater before, and I think that's a really, really huge thing, really great, great thing to do.
0: And what what you're getting at, you know, is that this this building this hub, this cultural center is more than just CMU. It's more than our students, staff and faculty. It really is. It's the Western slope. It's Western Colorado. It's where people can come together no matter where you land politically or where you stand on certain issues. Yes. Everyone can get together and listen to a beautiful ensemble.
1: I love how you said that because that's the whole, that's the whole idea of choir um, or theater for that matter is it's a group of people who are all really different but who are all humans and have human thoughts and feelings. And, and all of those are, all of those things are legitimate. And here is a space where you can express them. It's really fantastic.
0: And I mean, art's bringing us all together, right? That's why you're on this task force that you mentioned earlier. So everybody's included and everybody has a voice and everyone can enjoy, can enjoy the arts. That's the goal. Well, great. Um, You did send me an article about your, um, the music literacy, it's called Rehearsal Break. Yes. Uh, it was published in which? Where was uh, it? The
1: Choral Journal, uh, which is published by the American Choral Directors Association.
0: Yeah. So if anybody's interested in learning more about that, they can, they can find that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes.
0: We'll publish it
2: with this podcast. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you for letting me ramble on for a little while. It was really nice to see you guys. Yeah,
2: no, it was a great conversation. So thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you.
0: This has been a faculty feature on the See Me Now Specialization Podcast. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts.